Thank you for joining us. The Dacus Report is on the air to defend your religious freedom, your parental rights, and other civil liberties. And now, with the latest information, is your host, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. On today's show, I'd like to talk to the attorney who heads up our office in Texas, uh, attorney Naomi Bang. Uh, Naomi, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Doing great. <laughs> I think this is your first time on the, uh, the His Channel, Brad Dacus Live Show, so welcome. Thank and, you. And um, so if, if you don't mind, if uh, you can tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, uh, what kind of law have you been practicing? What's your background? I'm, I'm sure they'd love to know. Um, well, let me see. I'm a third-generation lawyer in my family. Wow. My, uh, my parents and my grandparents all come from South Korea and North Korea. And my grandfather was a judge, and my mom was one of the first women lawyers in uh, South Korea right before the Korean War. And I think she kind of brainwashed me as I was growing up, so I decided to become a lawyer. I think I decided to become a lawyer <laughs> because of that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good, very good. So that's an interesting family background. I was the first attorney, I think, in my lineage, uh, <laughs> my, uh, my background. So uh, that's, that's interesting. And I, was, uh, I visited South Korea a few years ago on a speaking trip, and um, I was very, uh, just very impressed with uh, the people and uh, especially the commitment of the Christians and the Christian church uh, in, in South Korea. It was very humbling to me. Uh, it wasn't what I would call uh, casual, you know, comfortable Christianity. It was very much more com a higher degree of commitment and, and prayer and uh, was a much higher priority. And uh, so that's a, that's a great, that's a great culture uh, place to, 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 to be from and uh, originally. So, so you, um, You've been uh, practicing as an attorney now for how many years? Oh, I want to date myself, but about 35 years. Okay. Um, so, you, <laughs> so you started right out of junior high. All right. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, very good, very good. But the bottom line is you have a lot of experience uh, under your belt, um, litigation experience. You've, uh, you know, you've uh, been very... Uh, you, you bring a lot to the table in terms of understanding of the law. What areas of law did you were you engaged in? Well, I think it's kind of a mishmash. And I think as one of the first Asian-American lawyers in America, I was privy to a lot of uh, extra benefits because I was the first in my field. So I think people gave me the benefit of the doubt, even though I wasn't very good. <laughs> I was very insecure. But um, I think God really used that. And even though I've done a lot of work over like 30 years straight of law practice, I feel that God is just using me now at this time for such a time as this. So I feel like everything that I've done in the past is kind of culminating into what my work is looking like here for PJI. So I'm, I'm just so grateful for this opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to see the invisible hand of God, uh, how he works and trains us in ways of the time we don't understand. And then uh, some might oftentimes we see it, sometimes we don't, but it's exciting though we can sort of see how it all comes together. And I, I know I can relate to that personally as well. So that's, uh, that's great. Well, how'd you hear about Pacific Justice Institute uh, to eventually become a part of our team? I actually saw you on a, a sermon by Pastor Brandon Holthouse, uh, Rock Harbor Church in Bakersfield, California. And even though I'm here in Texas, I have followed him 
Um, I was actually overseas serving as a missionary for the last five years. I, I actually first retired in 2015, and then I came back to practice for PJI at the end of uh, December. But um, during that time, I was overseas, and I was listening to sermons, and I just loved his series, and I kept watching him. And you came on in December before Christmas, and you told us about PJI, and I felt like, oh, God, I don't want to go back into the law. I love being retired. But I don't know. I felt like God said, go to the website and just check it out. So I did. Wow. Okay, that's that's fantastic. I got to talk to the, the pastor and, uh, and congratulate him <laughs> on what he's, what he's, it's just exciting how the Holy Spirit works in bringing people in and how, uh, you know, we work with a lot of ministries. I do a lot of guest preaching at churches. Uh, we see people come to Christ, but I think you're the first uh, attorney recruit we've had through, uh, through that uh, part of our ministry. So that's, uh, that's, that's encouraging. I appreciate that. Now, um, how is working for a Pacific Justice Institute, PJI, different than other places uh, of, of, of legal practice? Um, oh, it's so different. But I also think it's because of the way that my faith has grown. When I first started out as a lawyer, I was all about money and prestige. And I wasn't a believer until my mid-30s. So for the first like uh, 10 years of my practice, I did what young lawyers want to do when they want to make a name for themselves. They try to go to the biggest, most famous national law firms, make a lot of money coming out of law school, which I did for the first few years with two national law firms. And then I went, I, I don't know if you recall, LA Law and Susan Day was a prosecutor on TV. Yes. Um, and I loved her and I loved the way she dressed. And I said, I'm going to be a prosecutor. So then I applied to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C., and they picked me. And I don't think it's because I was any great litigator. I think it was because, you know, I was one of the first Asian-American women. So I was there and did federal criminal law for about four years. And I learned tons about, you know, appearing in front of federal judges and making oral arguments and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and then I, you know, kept on doing, uh, you know, private practice stuff. And then I think in the middle of my 30s, something inside of me, and I wasn't a believer yet, said, you have to do something more humanitarian. So I gave everything up and went to Cambodia for three years, uh, working for the United Nations through USAID uh, for the U.S. government to put together a law school there after they had killed off all the lawyers at the killing field. Yeah. And then yeah. that led to my becoming a Christian. I realized there were a lot of things that happened during that time that I realized I was totally nothing, like totally a zero. So I came back home to the United States, uh, opened up a very modest little practice in New York and New Jersey, um, and had a family, had two beautiful children, and just a uh, just did immigrant work, lots of litigation cases, transactional cases, and then another stroke of luck brought me to Texas uh, in 2005, and then another uh, big immigration lawyer took me under his wing, and he said, you know what, we're going to develop a practice of federal litigation for the immigration field. So then I spent about eight years suing the federal government <laughs> for all these violations against immigrants, the Russians, Chinese, uh, different people. And then uh, that led to a teaching degree, I mean, a teaching career. So I was a professor at a, at a few law schools here in Houston um, for about five years before I went overseas as a missionary. Wow. So it's kind of gone 
you know, kind of metamorphize closer to God. But this is the first time I have worked in a field where I can proclaim Jesus. I can do everything for his glory. I can let the Holy Spirit lead my strategy. He is my general counsel. So it's it's so different from how I've ever practiced law before. Yeah, I can relate to that. And I know that many attorneys uh, working for Pacific Justice can relate to that, definitely. Um, it's uh, We're about building God's kingdom and uh, preserving the law, preserving the Constitution, uh, and, um, and really empowering, not just defending, but empowering the body of Christ. Uh, it's exciting to see that and to see how God's used us by His grace uh, through Christ to be able to make a difference without a doubt. So you're in Texas, and some people, Naomi, they say, all right, Texas, that's God's country. That's where God goes for vacation. Um, in reality, I know firsthand, <clears throat> in Texas is, is not in it that way because we have cities like the city of Dallas, the city of Houston, and Austin, San Antonio, even El Paso, uh, where I've had to uh, you know, fly in on, on cases um, you know, to deal with that. I went to University of Texas Law School myself, so I'm a, a quasi-Texan. But uh, there's a lot going on there. And uh, what, what is, uh, I understand there's even some, some vax cases uh, that uh, you've been in, involved in uh, there in Texas. What's what's going on with those vax cases? Yes, it's it's so surprising because people say Texas, the land of the free, and we have all this religious freedom. And on one hand, we do because you know we have a governor who gave executive orders. We have uh, some laws that are much stronger to help our people than a lot of other uh, states. I was talking to other PGI lawyers who are other states that don't have the equivalent of what we have. But there is still this, even though the governor's order says no vaccine mandates, we see them everywhere and they are tough. And they are in our famous institutions, in our top universities, in our top nursing schools, in our top medical schools, in our orchestras, in our symphonies, in our big corporations, in our publishment houses. It's it's amazing to see they are just as, what do you call it? As, as, as rigid as they are in other states. It's, it's kind of amazing to see sometimes. Now, how is it where you have an executive order from the governor saying no vaccine mandates can be in Texas, and yet you still have vaccine mandates in, like you mentioned, uh, some of these, these places, medical and uh, orchestras and things like that, publishing companies. How, how, does, that, how does that work? I think that um, just my theory is that even though it looks really good on the EO, on the executive order, who is the person that's going to enforce it? So is there what we call, you know, a private right of action? Can a normal citizen like me take that law and go to court? Um, for the moment, I think you do need the attorney general to step in for you. And on one of my cases, or two of my cases, actually, the Attorney General's office, I don't know if they helped me in the background, but I did contact them, and it was involving such a big Texas entity. I'm thinking maybe they made some phone calls. I don't know, but the cases you know, were resolved. I don't know exactly. Of course, it's the hand of God, but perhaps they were involved. But I do send memos to them sometimes. Um, and asking their chief of staff, please, could you look at this case? Can you intervene in this case? If something that will make law for the rest of the Texans. Yeah, good. So um, we're, see we're seeing progress in that regard. I think a lot of these cases, it's just a matter of just stepping up. And when we step up, um, the big bully backs down. Uh, we've seen that with a number of these vax 
cases and vax mandates. Um, it's, uh, it's a little troubling to see that happening, but it's, it's, a, it's a clearly a reality. Um, parents' rights are known to being, you know, very respected in red states overall. Uh, Texas, of course, is one such state where you, you think that, of course, parents' rights are going to be respected. But that hasn't always been the case, has it? I, know, I understand there's some school boards that have been intolerant and, uh, with regards to the rights of parents to ex- express themselves. Yes, it, it's amazing. I had some case, I think you referred one case to me outside of Austin, where the parent was actually assaulted, body blocked, and uh, uh, later arrested. And I uh, just had another case last week um, outside of Dallas where the school board is now going to pass an amendment that says any unruly visitor, so that's very broad, uh, can be kicked out of a meeting without warning, without appeal, uh, with no rights whatsoever. And then they specifically state parents <laughs> in that one, two line amendment. So they are, you know, it really is a spiritual war, you know, as well as a legal war against parents to stand up for their children, because of course, our biblical values do conflict with what's what you see in mainstream. And so I think when parents stand up, that's where the other side gets really angry. And one way to shut down parents and their families and biblical values is to get them, get them at the school level. And then now, since our own government has declared parents you know, domestic terrorists, it kind of gives this awful authority, subtle authority to be able to treat parents like they are criminals. Right. It's, it's, it's uh, from the top down. And then we see at the local level. Uh, do you think the teachers, are the teachers' unions playing a, a role in this? These school boards, I understand, are, are generally the, often the puppets of the teachers' union and their, their radical leftist uh, spiritual genocide, uh, you know, indoctrination that, that we see at, in a lot of public schools. Uh, do you think they're playing a, a role in this, this, uh, this bullying on parents with these school boards trying to, to silence them? Mm, I never thought about that because I haven't worked directly on any school union issues, but that does make sense to me. I know many teachers have been fired because they would not take the vax, but um, I'm sure it comes from somewhere that the, uh, you know, I, I do believe that back in the 1950s or 40s after World War II, a lot of people who don't think the same way as freedom loving Americans came over and started planting their ideas. And one of the great pillars to infiltrate a society is through the school system. Right. So I think definitely it's it's been through the schools. It, I think it started at the university level, but now just it's it's amazing. It's making itself all the way down to kindergarten where you can't challenge a child's decision to change immutable aspects of himself. It's just it's just amazing how far we've come. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah, and, and even people are... You know, they moved to, to, from a blue state to a red state. They think, okay, great, I'm now in Texas, I'm in Tennessee, or I'm in Florida. Everything's fine. But you still have school districts, school boards, pushing agendas, pushing curriculum that uh, can be outrageous. I know like Fort Worth, for example, they adopted the radical LGBTQ propaganda curriculum from ki- kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade. Mm-hmm. They adopted that. I know Austin did, and then there was some pushback from some parents, and they backed off, uh, at least for the time being. But uh, this is very problematic. I know the school board in Houston, school board in, in Dallas, uh, those, those school districts, very, uh, very liberal, very radical into these 
uh, immoral, objectionable uh, agendas that victimize little children and cause confusion, uh, precipitate pr- confusion, uh, foster confusion. Um, so it's, it's a real serious problem. Um, you know, as you take on these matters with regards to, you know, parents' rights at school boards, uh, you know, what's the, what's the primary legal issue that, that's being addressed in these cases? Oh, freedom of speech, just shutting them down. And I, I, I never, ever did any First Amendment work until I came to PJI. And then going to the first few attorneys' meetings, I was so intimidated because everybody knew their Supreme Court cases so well. Um, but I'm having a chance to, like, kind of dive into those cases. Also, Texas has a pretty good constitution for free speech. So I've been leaning on that. And then, you know, with school board meetings, you can there's the Open uh, Meetings Act and there's other, you know, school board guidebooks, which at least on the surface have some rights. So I've been trying to work there. But it's just amazing that I think, you know, to shut down a free society, you have to shut down the First Amendment. I never realized how important that is. And religious freedom is a part of that. And this morning I was on, on the on the phone for about an hour and a half with one of my friends over in China, and she is a very fervent believer. And she was shocked when I told her the way my pastors have been censored, a way how you know different uh, accounts have been shut down if they mention a certain word or if they do if they have if they oppose a certain mainstream viewpoint. And she was shocked. She said, but you live in America. And I said, I know you live in China. And isn't this funny, the kind of conversation we're having? She said, I cannot believe you do that. I cannot believe you allow that. Like even late term abortion, even abortion, you know, even after the baby has come out of the womb, when I was describing what had been proposed, like in Virginia or Maryland, she was shocked. She could not believe it. She said, but Naomi, you live in America. I said, I know. I know. Well, unfortunately, not all Americans appreciate the Constitution and uh, the laws of nature and nature's God and uh, the concept of fundamental rights given to us by our Creator. And when we, when we stray off in that, in that way, all kinds of, of tyranny can come in its place. And that's, uh, it's really sad when we actually see such a, an analogy in comparison with what's going on in China with, with the United States. Of course, we at PJI have offices now all across the country, coast to coast, including in Texas, uh, to take on these bullies, and we're doing it. I think we have about 97 cases in active litigation just right now as, as we're speaking. So uh, it's very encouraging, and it's very encouraging what you're doing, uh, specifically there in Texas with your, your background, your expertise. You're very humble when you're presenting your background, but uh, you know, former professor, more than one law school, working for two of the you know, two top you know, prestigious law firms, working for the uh, Department of Justice. Uh, you've got an incredible background, and we're very blessed, uh, Naomi, to have you as a part of our team. Afghan- Afghanistan Christian cases, uh, I understand that we were helping and assisting with some humanitarian uh, uh, issues uh, dealing with Afghanistan Christian cases. What's going on there? Um, we have this amazing PGI lawyer, Whitney, and she uh, was approached by a church it was like hundreds of cases. So I think she took maybe a hundred or so, I'm not sure. 
So um, I was helping her with some of the religious asylum cases. Now, we can't really call it religious asylum because they don't qualify for asylum since they have not come here to the United States. But we were working on several immigration options to get them over here. And these clients were flown by a Canadian pastor to um, Abu Dhabi, and they're waiting there in the uh, refugee camps. And there are certain immigration avenues that you're able to bring people over legally because we like to do things legally, not just rush the border. So right. there were certain options there. And um, I had also practiced immigration law for about eight years. So it, I was able to help um, Whitney out in a few cases. And we used humanitarian parole, which is a way to bring them over for compelling humanitarian um, reason. Now, the, the uh, approval rate for those is not that good, so we're waiting to see what happens because there are thousands of cases and very few will get selected. But she was able to do um, an R1 visa, which is for religious workers. And she said even last week they had like three approvals within two months, which is extraordinary. So I'm so happy that some of these uh, you know, Afghans who've escaped hor horrendous situations in Afghanistan, just their testimonies are just so compelling. And it's it's wonderful to see that PJI is now responsible for bringing people over and having their cases approved. They will come here. They will be able to work openly as a Christian. Well, as openly as we're allowed to do for the time right. being. But um, I'm just so excited that that's happening. It, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I think what's, what's great to point out, which you mentioned earlier, just sort of briefly, but I think it's important to point out, is the reason they, they're saved is not because uh, the U.S. government, the Biden administration, made a point to, to rescue those who are the most at risk. These are uh, Christians who are part of an underground church in Afghanistan. I mean, they're, they're probably at the top of the list to get their throats slit. It was mm -hmm. because of the courage of a Canadian pastor, is that right, who went in, risked his life, and rescued them uh that is so commendable and then now they're in a, another muslim country not as radical <laughs> which is good but uh, the exciting thing also is how uh you know we're working with a ministry we're assisting a ministry that wants to have them to come to the united states because my understanding is their goal of these christians from afghanistan who are part of an underground church their thirst and desire is to minister and reach out to these Muslim Afghan refugees that are in the United States right now uh, who've <laughs> seen chaos, confusion, death, destruction uh, through people, you know, waving the Islamic banner. And these Christians are just wanting so much to give them uh, the light and the hope of, of the truth of faith in Christ and what a transformation, what a different life that can be uh, for people who, uh, uh, who, whose, whose eyes are opened up. So I'm to me, it's really exciting to be working. We love to work with and empower different ministry programs, different ministries, and uh, what you're doing to assist with this along with Whitney is uh, fantastic, and uh, I just love the, the partnerships, the team. She's out of our office out of uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, you're there in, in Texas, and I, I greatly appreciate uh, your efforts. Now, what's going on uh, in the medical industry regarding the vaccine mandate? Let's go back to the vaccine because there's a lot there's a great deal changing. I hear different judges' orders. What's, uh, what's the latest on that? Because I know we're assisting a number of doctors and nurses across the country uh, who are being told uh, that you know, they have to be vaccinated or they lose their job, even though we have a tremendous shortage of people in the healthcare industry. 
Yes, that's right. We have, um, I've had several medical students, uh, nursing students. In fact, after this show, I have to get on the phone with uh, the uh, school's lawyer to see what they have to say for the religious exemption for one of my nursing students. For some reason, I think maybe it's falsely reported in the media or just a little incomplete is probably the word I have to say, that the CMS mandate that came down, which is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, you know, said you must get the vaccine. But what they fail to say is within the CMS mandate, there is a provision for religious exemption and they fail to say that. So a lot of places seem they they think they can just do what they want. And so um, so I, I think they don't understand the CMS thing. This is very significant. You're doing a great, great work there, uh, there in, in uh, Texas. And I just want to encourage people out there uh, who are listening, if you uh, have assist, need of assistance uh, wherever you are in the country, including the state of Texas, get, be sure and contact us at PJI. Uh, we have people like Naomi who are there wanting to serve, wanting to help, whether it's religious freedom, parental rights, sanctity of life. Uh, we're there. And uh, Naomi, once again, thank you for being a part of our team. And may God continue to, to work through you and to bless you as you serve so many in such a significant mm -hmm. way. It's an honor to be part of PJI. So thank you so much. Yeah. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk in the future. Pacific Justice Institute invites you to join in the fight to protect our religious liberties. Consider volunteering in one of our California offices or become an affiliate attorney. Visit our website to find out more, pji.org. And while you're there, subscribe to our Legal Insider to keep updated on all of our current cases. Pacific Justice Institute. Together, we can make a difference. So folks, just remember, it's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms. Thank you for listening in today. To find out more about the Pacific Justice Institute or the Dacus Report, call 916-857-6900 or log on to pacificjustice.org.